but I'd like to read a couple of passages. Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 1 down to 7, and then I'm going to skip over to chapter 3 to verse 14. The angel of the Lord, sorry, the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me just briefly pray again. Thanks, Lord, for the prayers that have already been prayed for our service and during our service. We just ask that you will help us this morning to be people who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church, what the Spirit is saying to our hearts, and that we have a longing, Lord, to put into action the things that you lay on our hearts to do. To you be all the glory and the praise. And God's people said, Amen. Um, In the world of modern medicine, I wanted to just say that. makes me sound scientific, doesn't it? But not really. But in this world of modern medical science, you have to be impressed by the diagnostic capabilities that some of the equipment and procedures that are available today I mean, although from far, from, far from being perfect, it's amazing that, an, that X-ray equipment, that MRIs, that ultrasounds and the like can actually look inside your body 
and identify and diagnose unwanted and nasty things like tumours and aneurysms and foreign objects and any other harmful or potentially harmful elements to your body. These things can look deep inside you and see things that you otherwise wouldn't see. PET scans, the PET scans, for example, they'll reveal how your body, organs and tissues are all working. And they'll also show up disease in your body as well. And I believe in our congregations, um, there are people who actually operate this type of equipment. While the rest of us, alas, get to be on the receiving end of such diagnostic wonders. Such as colonoscopies <laughs> and all those fun things that some of us have to endure. No secrets there. And, and in many ways, aren't we glad that there aren't any secrets there? If there's anything harmful that's inside, don't you want to know about it? <clears throat> and put into practice the rem remedy that comes from the diagnosis. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, you might say has supreme diagnostic capabilities. He is the master diagnostician. I think I got that word right. Diagnostician. He's the master. For we see him, we see him in these two chapters of Revelation looking deeply and looking passionately beneath the surface and inside each of the seven church bodies Offering each one his specialised and perfect diagnosis. Along with his prescribed remedy. Which has a 100% success rate when you put it into practice. And in this case, his remedy, for most of the cases here that we look at, his remedy is one word. And it's repent. The first thing I want us to recognise and appreciate about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he knows his churches intimately. Notice in chapter 1 that he was the one who was among the seven golden lampstands, being the seven churches. And then look in chapter 2, did you notice that we see him now walking among the seven golden lampstands? Walking, knowing them, seeing them as they really are. No secrets to him. He knows us so well. He walks among us and he cares for us. He looks beneath the surface. He examines, he diagnoses and he offers the remedy. Yeah, he offers the remedy. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, what Christ is saying to the church, to the churches. Chuck Swindoll makes this comment. He examines them from every angle. No praiseworthy quality or embarrassing imperfection can escape his notice. He's aware of their every thought, intention and motive, caring enough for their well-being that he will both encourage and correct them. And so we see a common pattern emerging from Christ's message to each church here, and that is his encouragement and his correction, his diagnosis and his remedy. 
So what can you and I, what can you and I personally apply to what we see Jesus doing and what we hear him saying to us this morning and to, and to us as a church? So I want to launch into this. There's a lot to get through and just trust that God will take something and really hit you in the heart where you need that to happen for you today, for all of us. So, for example, in the, 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 to the church of Ephesus, in Revelation 2, verses 1 to 3, from these verses, as we read, this church in Ephesus sounds like it worked hard for the Lord. They also did not tolerate false teachers in their churches, which is commendable. And they were commended for that. So this is a picture of a busy church with, with high spiritual standards. And in verse 6, Jesus also commends them for hating the practice of the Nicolaitans, which he also hated. Warren Worsby explains this about this group of people. He says, the Greek name Nicholas, I think I've got Nicholas, means to conquer the people. That's where it came from. It refers to the development of a priestly caste or clergy <coughs> in the church that throws aside the common believers. What an arrogant bunch they were. An arrogant group with their own agenda and practices of lording it over people. But the church of Ephesus did not condone any of those things. Their work had been difficult, but they pressed on and they didn't give up. However, there's something else we need to note about this church in Ephesus. It's something that Jesus also said as he walked among their golden lampstand. His diagnosis, as he looks deep within them, he says this, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, <clears throat> I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Somehow, over whatever time period it was, this church that once was vibrant in its love for Christ has lost that love now. That initial, that first fervent love that they had for Christ is gone. Its devotion and its enthusiasm for Christ, Jesus noticed, it's gone cold. Other things, other things. I wonder what other things are in our lives. Other things in this life of, of, of busyness and so on. Other things in the life of this busy church had somehow crowded out this love that they once had for Christ. And we need to understand that labouring is no substitute for loving the Lord. We also need to be alert today in, the, in our busy and sometimes program-driven lives that Christ is more deeply concerned for the quality of our relationship with him than he is for the quantity of what we do for him. Did you get that? So important that we get that on board, folks. Moving on, the church in Smyrna, chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, <coughs> had been a suffering church. <coughs> A suffering church. How familiar we are with the news of suffering and persecution that we hear about, know about sometimes in our churches around the world. You only have to get the, the, the Barnabas Aid magazine or the online thing that comes to your computer like mine does. And 
These are the latest headlines that we get from Barnabas, completely relevant to what we're talking about here. Bangladeshi, this is the, these are the headlines, just the headlines. Bangladeshi pastor survives knife attack in his home. US gunman targets Christians in college shooting. Pakistan honour attack leaves Christian husband dead after wife renounces Islam. Police in Laos arrested two believers for spreading Christianity. Islamic State fighters execute three Christian hostages in Syria and vow to kill 180 others. And Jesus says to his church, Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Jesus promises those who remain faithful even under death will be gloriously rewarded in the life to come. Amen? Death is not the issue for Christians. It is not the issue for the child of God. We ought not to be frightened of death. However, it is something of an issue for those who have not yet believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples one day with, as he walked with them in Luke chapter 12, <coughs> verses 4 to 6. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you to whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then Jesus says in verse 11 of this chapter here, He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And this term, the second death, uh, is only found in Revelation. Uh, another example comes from Revelation chapter 21, when we get toward the end of the book there. It says this, He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Ever seen that car sticker? Don't know if it's around anymore. Or maybe you've heard the saying, born once, Die twice. Born twice, die once. Do you get that? Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. In other words, you need to be born again. As Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So the message of Christ to the church in Smyrna and to every other church and believers today is even though suffering happens to us, don't be afraid, but be faithful to the end. Be faithful to the Lord because he is with you. He is with you. He is with us. Don't be afraid. He's with us. And there is definitely an indescribable, glorious time ahead. Times ahead. 
but which will last for eternity, unlike the present momentary afflictions and sufferings that we have in this life. The church at Pergamon, 12 to 17, chapter 2. Jesus commends this church for remaining true to his name. They didn't even renounce their faith, even in the face of persecution and death. But again, we see his diagnosis here to this church. Revelation 2, 14, 15. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you have Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So in other words, the church at Pergamum had compromised itself with the world. It had formed an unholy alliance. In fact, the word Pergamum means married. It means married. They had married into some unholy doctrines and teachings. But Jesus was also saying, not only are those who are among you who, who practice these things, but you as my church, you're allowing them to do it. How much do we really hate sin today? Not the sinner, but how much do we hate the sin? I just think it's good to think about some of those things do we hate it as much as Jesus hates it I love that worship song that we sometimes sing I think it might be a new one I could be wrong but in this beautiful song it says these magnificent words break my heart for what breaks yours isn't that fantastic Whoever wrote that song is tuned in to what God's saying. Break my heart for what breaks yours, Lord. Don't let me compromise. How important it is for us as believers, as a church, that we don't tolerate sin in our lives. But where and when it's necessary that we repent, that we do what Jesus is saying here, that we adopt his remedy and repent before the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. 1 John 1 9. Every Christian ought to have that underlined in your Bible. 1 John 1 9. You know, for it's only when we come over to Jesus that we truly become overcomers. It's only when we truly come over to Jesus do we truly become overcomers. You can't be an overcomer apart from being with Jesus. You will be overcome by the world and by sin. With Christ, you become an overcomer as you come to him. I want to encourage us all to pray, Lord, diagnose my heart, please. Diagnose my heart. I receive your remedy. Forgive my sin. I long to be an overcomer for you. May that be a prayer of your heart. To the church in Thyatira, 18 to 29. This church had 
much the same problems as the church in Pergamon. In that it compromised with the world by allowing idolatry and immorality to be taught in the church by some woman called Jezebel, which may or may not have been her actual name. But just like the wicked queen Jezebel that we read about in the Old Testament, the wife of Ahab in 1 Kings and 2 Kings 10, she was bad news. She was bad news. She was a false prophetess who was deceiving and seducing God's people, giving them license to sin. And again, how important to know and to live in the light of God's word and to challenge any teaching that sounds off to you. Something sounds a bit off. I need to check that out for myself or you challenge the person who said it to you. But you've got to know the word yourself to do that. So I encourage you, encourage you, study the Bible personally. I don't think there's any substitute for you having a daily reading. Somehow, I know life is busy. Young mum's heart goes out for you. But somehow, we've got to make that time to have, I believe, that daily fellowship with God. Open the word. Let him speak into your life. Study it in your life groups. Are you in a life group? Think about being in one. Know the word. Let the word know you. Let the word read you. Let it know you. Study it. Live by it. The church in Sardis. I remember... Some years ago now, when I was in the QAS and the ambulance, I remember this particular case very well, really strange case, but I remember it well. We were called urgently to a house. And as we walked into this house, it was a dimly lit house, there was an elderly couple watching TV. Everything seemed to be fairly normal. The husband had been sitting in the chair, he came to greet us. And he had been sitting in a chair and his wife was sitting on the couch and he said to us she hasn't spoken to me for a while and here she was we looked from the door and there she was she was sitting normal posture on a couch hands were in her lap head was like so eyes were open in front of the tv so everything seemed to be normal however as ambulance officers have to do, we do close inspections. And as we got closer and as we inspected this dear lady, we discovered that she had in fact died. But there she was. I didn't see what was on the TV at the time. I don't know what she was watching. But there she was. She died. It's amazing. I don't know about you, but I've found that when your time's up, it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, you're gone. You're gone. Instantly. So doesn't it make it imperative to know where you're going? She was dead. And it was a bit, and this was the problem for the church in Sardis. From a distance, everything seemed to look all right. They seemed to be alive from a distance. But it wasn't until they were examined by the master diagnetician 
The one who searches hearts and minds and whose eyes are like blazing fire. When he, did, when he searched the church, he said, you look alive, but you're dead. In one of his books um, called Living Insights, it's about Revelation, Chuck Swindoll lists five marks of a dead church. And he says that when he finds all these marks together in a church, he says this church is in desperate need for healing and for revival. And I want to tell you what these five things are. I'm just going to list them. Number one, a dead church worships its past. Number two, a dead church is inflexible and resistant to change. Number three, a dead church often has carnal and lazy leadership. Number four, a dead church neglects children and youth. Number five, a dead church lacks evangelistic and missionary zeal. He said, sometimes you'll find one or two in a church and we've got to work on that. But he said, if you see the whole lot in one church, he said, that church is in desperate need of healing and revival. He also suggests in view of this list that we, the challenge comes back to us, that we ask two questions of ourselves. The first question is this, do any of these describe me? And the second question is, am I contributing to the life of my church or to its death? Good to challenge ourselves with that, isn't it? For us to say to the Lord, as David said in Psalm 139, Lord, search me and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let the diagnostician look inside your heart. Lord, I want to be with you. I want to be on the ball with you. I want to be on the cutting edge of service for you. I want to be contributing to see the church grow and live, Lord. <clears throat> I don't want to be one of those who's contributing to its death. We need to ask those sort of questions, don't we? I think we do. Revelation 3. Jesus says this to this church. He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Listen to his remedy. Obey it and repent. He diagnoses and he gives the remedy. Obey it and repent. You know, ultimately what, it really, what really matters for you and me is not our reputation as a church. It's not even what society says about us and about us personally. But as the church in Sardis discovered, it's what the Lord Jesus knows and says about you, about me, that really does count for eternity. Skipping through. The church of Philadelphia. The church of little strength... I love this little church. The church of little strength. In fact, I don't know if it was a little church. But commended by the Lord for its faithfulness. Do you know, there's a big difference between little strength and having little faith, isn't there? Big difference between little strength and little faith. 
This church may have been the weakest of all the seven, but was given an open door of opportunity for service and to vindicate it in the presence of its enemies. Warren Wearsby, I love what he says too. He says this, In a very real sense, the church today is like the Philadelphian church. For God has set before us many open doors of opportunity. And haven't we heard about some of those today? If, if, he says, if he opens the doors, we must work. If he shuts the doors, we must wait. Above all, we must be faithful to him and see the opportunities, not the obstacles. I think it's so human of us. Sometimes we forget the opportunities. All we can see is the obstacles. May God give us a vision where we, see, where we see his open doors, where we see his opportunities and leave the obstacles to him. And church, again, I want to ask us this. How alert are we to the open doors that God presents to us? Firstly, in your own life. How alert are you to those open doors? Lord, are you opening a door for me? Are you searching for an open door? Maybe you are this morning. What about us as a church? What is Jesus showing us as he walks amongst this golden lampstand called SDBC? What's he showing us? Are you praying that he is showing us something, revealing his heart to us? You see, he does walk amongst this golden lampstand called Sunnybank District Baptist Church, just in case you weren't sure about that. I believe he walks amongst us as well. The church in Laodicea. 14 to 22, so chapter 3, 40 to 22. This church, out of all the seven churches in Asia Minor, this church received the Lord's most severe rebuke and condemnation. You might say that this was a church that made Jesus sick to the point of him wanting to vomit. Pretty strong words, isn't it? But, you know, it was also the church that received the greatest promise if it would be earnest and repent and open its door to him. Again, how about us? How are you this morning? If Jesus were to come to the door of your life today, would he find it open or would he find it closed? You know, and here's the amazing thing. Even if Jesus were to find the door closed, he will stand there and he will gently knock. And I believe he'll call your name. And this is what he says. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with him and he with me what an amazing saviour we have isn't he an awesome God so in closing this morning I, we, we need to remember 
that the action of the church begins with the response of each single member. You see, it's not about, well, what about, what's she going to do? Or what about, what's he going to do? Or what about them? No. The response starts with each single member. Jesus looks at each one of us. And can I ask you, do you have an open door for Jesus today? I'm going to be cheeky and say, which ones are closed to him? Which ones are still closed? And can I also ask, why have you closed it? Why is it closed to him? You see, he knocks and he asks to come in. He's the master diagnetician. And he wants to be with you. Not to condemn you, but to make changes for the better. To clean, to heal, to restore and make you a new creation. So that you and I will be with him forever. And I don't know about you, but I believe that is the ultimate remedy in any one of our lives. To be with Jesus forever. And that's a long time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, just thank you for walking amongst us. Thank you for the, that you're the one who walks among your, your congregations. Thank you that you do it because you love us, not condemning us, but you care for us. You care for our attitudes. You care for our motives. You care about everything in our lives. Father, we couldn't be in better hands than yours and thank you that we are. Please go with us. Please go before us. Please help us to grow and mature in you. Putting aside the carnal things. Putting aside those immaturities, Lord. Help us to grow up into you. And to be filled with your spirit. So that we can be fully complete. And, and Lord, being about your work. We don't know when you're returning, but we know it's soon. We want to be active in the work of God. Help us to do that. Help us, Lord, to resist Satan and all of his schemes. And in your name we can. You've told us to do that. You've said, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Just promises like that, and your word's full of those beautiful promises. You're a great God. We love you today. Help us to walk with you. Be open and receptive to all you want to say and do. Diagnose us, Lord, diagnose us, and then give us your remedy that we may walk fully clothed in all your righteousness, power and glory for your name. Thank you, Lord, for being with us as we commit ourselves and our day into your hands now, this week, in Jesus' precious name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.